As we started our, our service, Julianne mentioned that this year didn't really start the way that most of us thought it would, and I would echo that. It is good to be back with you after missing the last two weeks. Thank you for your prayers for our family, um, and thanks to Pastor Daryl and, and Rob Douglas for stepping in to preach and all the leadership here. Um, I enjoyed participating in worship from home, so those of you joining in online, welcome. I'm glad that you are with us as well. A few days ago, I was organizing something in the garage. Okay, I was finally putting away the Christmas stuff. So I was finally putting away all our Christmas decorations and kind of putting it back in in the garage where it goes. And our son comes running up to me and says, Dad, Dad, I have good news. I said, oh, oh, awesome. What's that good news? Out of breath and, and full of excitement, he, he waved me over to this really small dwarf tangerine tree that we have. And he said, Dad, look, the fruit is orange. We have these really small green fruit that have been on the tree for I don't know how long. And yeah, they're orange. I don't know that I would eat them. But the kid who has a healthy obsession with fruit probably will. Um, he was so, so excited. It was good news. We are going to spend a good amount of time this year as a church walking through uh, the, the book of Romans, through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And the image that I would like to invite us to hold on to as we, we kind of journey in and out of, of the book of Romans is Paul running to the church and saying, church, church, I have good news. I have good news for you and for me. Romans is often seen as Paul's most complete work. It goes from, as we're going to see today, some, some really complex and deep theological issues into some very practical issues about how to relate with one another, both inside and outside of the church. It was written during a really pivotal time, about 30 years after Jesus' death and, and resurrection, and it's had a profound influence on Christians throughout history. It's the, the book that, that St. Augustine read and then converted to Christianity. It includes a line actually in the first chapter uh, about the righteousness shall live, the righteous shall live by, by faith that Martin Luther said haunted him and shaped most of his theology. John Calvin referred to it as the most hidden treasure in all of scripture. It wouldn't be an exaggeration at all to say it's one of the most studied and most kind of picked apart letters in the entire Bible. So we're going to take it in bite-sized pieces throughout the year. Now, Paul most likely wrote it to, to the church in Rome while in Corinth before he had really gotten to know the church in Rome. And there's debate over the, the actual... Um, like comp composition of the church in Rome about how much of it was, was Jewish, how much of it was Gentiles. We get the idea that it was, was both. But we also know that the city in Rome was a metro metropolis. It was, it was very, very diverse. So in a way, he's, he's writing to set their theology straight, saying there's, there's all kinds of, of different beliefs. Let's get in line. So the Jews, they were proud of their heritage, they held tightly to a, a tradition and, and let most of those traditions shape the way that they lived, how they, how they functioned. And the Gentiles in Rome, they constantly boasted about how free they were from the law, that they could do whatever they want because they weren't beheld to the law. 
And it's as if the Apostle Paul says, look, look, you're both off. If you're stuck in your traditions, you're, you're missing a point of the gospel. And if you're picking and choosing what parts of those traditions you want to follow, you're also missing it. So he writes to, to clarify what he actually means when we talk about this, this word gospel, this good news. Paul brings them back to what was most important. And I believe it's something that the church desperately needs today as we, we talk through all the issues of our day, just to remember what is most important, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there are all kinds of things that are, are competing for our uh, attention, begging us to either water down what, what Jesus did for us or to add to it. So th- think about it. Instead of just being a Christian today, we've added qualifications to that that title christian right you're you're conservative christian you're a progressive christian you're a contemporary christian you're a traditional christian you're an orthodox christian you're a reformed christian you're justice oriented or you're bible centered the tags that we've added they, they attempt to either move us closer to one group or to distance us from a different one, right? It's, yeah, I want to affiliate with, with these Christians, but don't you dare, don't you dare attach me to those Christians. And so, so Paul is saying, whoa, 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 stop. Get back to what is most important. He says, he reminds us to get back to the basics, saying it's, it's not what you do or what you don't do. It's not the, the tags that you title or that you add to your, your title It's about what God has already done for us through the person of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we're just supposed to ignore what Jesus said about how we're called to live or act. Paul is clear about that. It means that the way that we live doesn't make us any more or any less deserving of the grace that Jesus offered. One of my my favorite uh, thinkers, Dallas Willard, he, he writes that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So today's sermon, it might feel like a bit of a whirlwind because there's a lot that we're going to be unpacking today. It's a combination of some of what I had planned for last week and some of what I was preparing for this morning. So we're going to cover quite a bit. As all of Paul's letters, they they start with this, this very similar formula. He starts with who he is. Look, I'm Paul, a follower of, of, of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Then he addresses who he's writing to, the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Rome. And then a short greeting, a short greeting, which, which we see here in, in verses 16, or, or the first chapter verses through the first 16 verses. He gives us this Here's what I'm about. Here, here's what I'm about and here's who I'm addressing. That all ends with this idea of the righteous living by faith. An important part of understanding Romans is coming to the terms of what he means here. The righteous will live by faith. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, righteousness was tied to holiness. 
It was all about staying clean, staying set apart for a specific purpose. And Paul, he builds on that theme, but takes it one step further. Righteousness isn't just about deliverance from something. It's not just about kind of staying separate from everyone else. It's not just about sitting in a courtroom and hearing those words, not guilty. Instead, to Paul, righteousness is about being saved from something to something. Being saved from something to something. It's like receiving a pardon and a release from death row and then right away being given a royal inheritance. It's being moved from condemnation to abundance. The gospel, in Paul's mind, is all about God moving toward us. And for Paul, that, that comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In the first few verses of Romans, he, he gives some titles, some titles for Jesus. First, he says, Jesus is, is the one that the prophets of old promised. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is a, a descendant of, of King David, a human born into the royal family. Jesus isn't just human, though. Jesus is also the Son of God. And then Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 4 in the introduction, it ends with a declaration and an invitation to be a part of God's kingdom. That's what the hour means. Not just my Lord, our Lord. Now these first four verses, they're, they're, they're profound statements about what Paul believed about who Jesus was. And they really do set up the rest of the letter. Living by faith is our response to this identity. Living by faith is our, our response to this identity. So then Paul comes down from that kind of 10,000 foot view. This is who Jesus is. We're called to follow and live by faith to some very specific parts about how we live by faith. Some very specific. That's what the rest of the letter really is. This is how it looks to, to live by faith. Starting at verse 18, we read this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. See, it starts really upbeat. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The rest of this chapter, it goes on to create a pretty bleak picture. 
There's plenty of sexual immorality. There's greed. There's gossip. There's slander. There's arrogance. There's disobedience. There's pride. And Paul goes as far as saying that the people in Rome, they had done every sort of evil. So then they invented new ways to do other evil. Taken out of context, this chunk of scripture specifically Romans 1 18 through 32 has caused all kinds of damage read on their own these these verses they they paint a picture of a vengeful God whose entire goal is to point out our sin and to condemn us there's no hope there's no reason to go on because no matter what we do we'll fall short and God's wrath is on the way Exciting way to start 2022. There's a whole lot of danger with getting stuck in this part of Scripture. And we often do. We, we, we weaponize it. We, we use it against one another. The truth is, much of what Paul writes here in Romans, not just in these first passages, they can come across as harsh if these words are read alone. And it's because for Paul, we can only begin to grasp the depth of God's grace until when we see how broken we really are. For Paul, we can only really begin to to grasp the depth of God's grace until we understand how broken and hurting we really are. So when Ed and I talked earlier in the week about today, we said, you know, there's not a whole lot of music about um, total depravity. It's not like we come to church on Sunday morning and say, I'm a terrible person, you're a terrible person, we're all terrible people. We don't have songs for that in our, our hymnal, but that's, that's kind of where Paul starts. Our, our world is messed up. Our world is messed up and we need God's grace because our world is messed up. Now I know I generally want to believe that, that people are, are good But if we engage the story of the Bible as a whole, including difficult passages like this, we see how dependent on God's grace we really, really are. So here at the beginning of this letter to the church in Rome, Paul, he doesn't hold back and he he really starts with talking about the wrath of God. Right away. In the first few verses of, the, of this section, we, we have a, a bleak, a, a dark picture, one highlighted by wickedness and godlessness. Now, this weekend is, is the first weekend of the NFL playoffs. So, how many of us are going to watch the Rams? It's not today, it's tomorrow. Rams play tomorrow. How many of you watched the games yesterday? Anybody watched the games yesterday? All right. So Super Bowl of Caring is coming. That's what it really means for our church is in a month we're going to be collecting cans um, for one of our mission partners for Mana. So get those cans ready. I know we just finished with, with our can tree. We're doing it again pretty soon. So I figured with the NFL playoffs kicking off, I know we're not all football fans, but I, I could tell a football story. A few years ago, I was, I was coaching high school football, and somebody sent me a, a video of a high school game that took place in Texas. It was these commentators that were, were talking about this, this big game. Texas is, football is, is, is big. And uh, two players from the same team went up and tackled the ref as the ref looked the opposite way. 
And so the commentators that we're talking, the, the ref is facing the line of scrimmage, the safeties are standing behind them, and they just come and absolutely level the ref. And the, the reporters, the commentators, they were, they were spending time trying to talk about who's to blame. These 16-year-old boys leveling this older gentleman who is the ref. Did the players make the decision on their own? Did the coaches tell the 16-year-old boys to take out the ref? Maybe it was the parents' fault for not raising the kids right. Then they started asking whether or not the ref deserved to be hit like that because he made such a bad call. And finally, one of the commentators who who was a former football player himself said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The kids had to know it was wrong. So do the coaches. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Paul writes, from the beginning of time, people knew about God. God made God's self known through the act of creation. And yet godlessness and wickedness crept in. There's no excuse. One of the reasons we are called to preach and live out the gospel today, to live into God's grace, is because throughout history, people have done a pretty good job of suppressing God's truth and righteousness. God's greatest desire is to be in relationship with those who are created in God's image. And when something or someone gets in the way of that happening, God's wrath is revealed. Then Paul goes into the the reason that that it exists in in the first place. It all has to do with with cheapening what, what God offers. As Eugene Peterson translates this part of Romans saying, the Romans, they traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. They, they exchanged the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. <clears throat> John Calvin once wrote that when we show up for church, when we come to church on Sunday mornings, we're making two specific statements. The first is a statement about who God is, that God is holy, that God is sovereign. So we come to worship God. We make that statement when we show up at church on Sunday morning. So that's the the, the first statement is about who God is. The second statement is about who we are, that that we're not in control, that, that we are broken. And so we show up to worship the God who is in control who offers us grace. When we confuse those two things, who we are and who God is, we commit idolatry. We steal God's glory. Paul doesn't say that that God responds to that idolatry with fire from the sky. Instead, he does something more subtle. In my mind, something that's far scarier. He gave us the right to choose our own course of action and then gave us the freedom to live with those consequences. Isn't this exciting stuff? It's scary. 
This, this idea of God's wrath. Then, then Paul describes how that wrath looks. He gets more and more specific about how a darkened heart turns to idolatry and then into sinful desires and, and these acts, how they actually look in everyday life. The picture Paul paints of Rome is one of complete chaos. He uses this phrase three times. God gave them over. God gave them over to sinful desires, to shameful lusts, and to a deprived, depraved mind. This is a move from just thought to action. Now, when I started this sermon, I mentioned that there's a lot of harm done when, when this part of Romans is, is weaponized, when it's taken out of context, especially Romans 1, 26 through 27, which I intentionally didn't read this morning, because if I did, you'd be hanging on those few verses and wouldn't hear anything else that we're talking about. I'm fairly certain that there's at least a few different opinions within our congregation here in the sanctuary this morning about this passage. The truth is, there are really two things that motivated the Roman people. Freedom to do what they wanted and pleasure. They worked hard, they played hard. And a part of that was, was clinging to a, a pagan understanding of sexuality. So it was far too common in first century Roman culture for, for boys and girls to be trafficked. Paul is trying to wake the church up in Rome to the reality that there were consequences for their actions. There were consequences for their actions. And at the same time, he's illustrating that idea that that's when God's grace shows up. That's when we realize how desperate we are for God's grace. This part of Romans makes me think about a a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples uh, in Mark chapter 7. Pharisees and and some teachers of the law, they're, they're criticizing the disciples for not washing their hands before they ate. They, they were kind of backing away from the ceremonial laws. And, and Jesus says, after the conversation with, with the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, with the disciples there, he turns to the disciples and he says, listen to me. Listen to me, everyone. And understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it, what's, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's not what goes on around us. We can't get caught blaming culture for one thing or another or blaming someone else. This idea of depravity, it starts with, with us. And grace, the gift of the gospel, the answer to our brokenness, to our, our sin, it starts and ends with Jesus. Paul's starting with that big, profound statement here in the first part of Romans. In, in the same way that my son came running into the garage saying, Dad, Dad, I, I have good news. Paul comes running to a, a distracted and broken world saying, Church, Church, I know this is hard. I know that there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, but I have good news. My hope for us this year is that in the midst of 
all that's going on in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our, our brokenness, is that we would cling as a church community to that truth. The good news of, of the grace that you and I are offered through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for loving us, for going to such a great length to make us right with you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.